week or so since we recorded the last podcast, the thing that I have realized more than anything is that Pete's whole thing, like, you could write a better story than Pete, but I don't think you could write a better arc than Pete. And I can't tell, I mean, I don't want him to have to face Boise State. I know he doesn't want to have to do that. I, even personally, like, I want to be able to root for both teams because, I mean, that's how much of a, that's how significant Pete is, is that some rando from Seattle, like me, roots for Boise State just because of the Fiesta Bowl, like, and imprinting on them as a, I don't know how old I, w- I would have been then, but as a, you know, adolescent or kid. I mean, so I keep, I keep going back and forth between being like, oh, this is perfect. Of course, this is how it has to be. And, um, just kind of sad for him that he has to, like, his final boss is the Empire. The, the giant killing empire that he built, you know? Well, explain that uh, to me a little bit more, because I've, I've tried to work through this myself. I get the part about him as he likes coaching football. He doesn't necessarily like being a celebrity, and he doesn't mm-hmm. want this game to be about his life and career. Like, Chris Peterson, this is your life. Is mm-hmm. there some I, – I get that. I mean – that's going to be true probably no matter who they're playing. It obviously will be turned up to 11 with, uh, you know, they'll probably bring all of the uh, old Boise State players back on the sidelines and do retrospectives and things. Is there really – do you think what you were saying made me think that he also just doesn't want to play Boise for competitive reasons? Do you think that's the case? It seems like this is a glorified exhibition game. Who, who wins and loses – is kind of going to be an historical footnote. Do you think it matters that much to him that he has to compete against people who are his protégés and so on? I think if I had to put a gut answer into trying to, obviously since you can't read his brain, I think my gut answer would still be he probably wouldn't admit it. But I think inherently, if you're Chris Peterson, you have to because his whole thing, whether it's built for life or just his perspective in general, which I think is a better way of looking at it, is about football as a footnote in our lives. 
or, you know, people's lives, whatever, um, and how it enhances your life and it isn't your life. So inherently that means then that you have to be, if you're him, you have to be cognizant of the narratives and the, and, and the non X's and O's side of something like this. Um, which I, 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 yeah, I feel, I feel like even, even if he, he, he would deny it, which I don't know if he would, I feel like he's always been more candid than he's been given credit for. Um, that I, I, I can't imagine that not being a part of it, you know? Yeah. I think it would be fun to just indulge in that. I know that's not his style, but why yeah. not? Is it, like, this is my opinion on this. I, I know there were probably technically higher ranking bowls that the Huskies could have gone to. I get the reason why the Red Box Bowl in Santa Clara picked Cal because they can get, I mean, theoretically get a few people to drive across the bay to come see them play. The Sun Bowl in El Paso will probably have more luck drawing people from Tempe than they would from Seattle. Uh, and plus, ESPN broadcasts probably all of these games, and they can probably tell them, it's all the same to you. We'll <laughs> just put Washington in this game. There are going to be a lot more yeah. people who watch it. And the games don't, like I said, it doesn't really matter. I think you can convince me that a New Year's Day bowl game outside of the college football playoff still matters. I still care about who wins the Rose Bowl to some extent, the Cotton Bowl and so on. I don't care who wins the Las Vegas Bowl. I couldn't tell you who played in the Las Vegas Bowl for the last 10 years. Last let year, won it. Last year was Boise, Boise and Oregon. I That's, remember that I was, think I say that is if that disproves what you're saying, but yeah. I, I think I lost a lot of money betting on TCU playing Boise in the Las Vegas Bowl one time about 10 years ago. Um, so maybe this is just Boise's bowl game every year. Anyway. They do, it, for what it's worth, they are there very, very often simply because their tie-in currently is the Mountain West champion yeah. versus whatever, Pac-12, like fifth Pac-12 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But long story short, the game isn't that important, and if the game doesn't matter that much, we might as well lean into the narrative part of it. Like, I'm not upset that we miss out on playing Illinois or Virginia Tech or whoever else. The narrative part of it is fun. It makes me interested in the game. Like, if they bring uh, Ian Johnson out on the sideline to reenact his proposal, <laughs> yeah. like, we're going to renew our vows at halftime. Or, yeah. like, just let Jared Zabransky come in for one play to run a flea flicker. Like, just do all this stuff. The game doesn't really matter. It's like a Harlem Globetrotters game. Just do fun things to make the most of the game. That's that's my opinion on it. I mean, totally. maybe I'm not taking it seriously enough for very serious football people, but I think that would be the most entertaining way to do it. Yeah, I think for what it's worth, um, I, I, I'm not one of those people who, I mean, this is getting into kind of a big ration. I, I don't. I, I still see the value in plenty of bulls just because a bull matchup is, if you do it right, well-balanced, interesting football of, of opponents that don't typically play each other. So I think for that value, just for pure inherent value of watching football and watching something that you don't usually get to see, I still love bulls. Obviously, I'm not typically, you know, if you're going to get like a Conference USA fourth best team versus whoever gives a crap. Like, I don't care about that. But I think I think I totally see what you're saying though, as far as the narrative, and in in many ways I do like it. I th- um, I think the main thing why I am 
kind of torn about this. It's not that I don't personally like the idea of Chris Peterson Washington versus uh, Boise. It's that I don't like the idea of him having to do that, you know? It's like the whole, um, uh, you know, having a, having a kid raise a, raise a pig and then being like, all right, now you have to kill it. Or no, like what, for example, like in, in, uh, Germany, this is, I don't know why I'm using this as an example because it's so, like, sinister, but in, in Germany, they would train SS officers by being like, you have to raise this dog as from a puppy and then kill it when it's an adult. And that's like what it feels like this is for Chris Peterson. And in that way, it's just vicariously sad as a fan of him, even if as a fan of football, as a fan of Washington, and as a fan of the whole arc that he has, that has been his career and everything he's built, it's oddly satisfying, you know? I would say he's not being asked to kill the dog. I would say he's being asked (laughs) to, like, run a casual race with the dog years after he has given it up to whoever he trained it for or something like that. Um, And, by the way, I looked it up, and remember I said the only Las Vegas Bowl I remember is the year that uh, TCU played Boise. It was the Fiesta Bowl. So I am very on brand with only remembering the New Year's Day Bowl games. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the game itself. I, I don't know how closely you followed Boise this year. Uh, they came pretty close to making one of the aforementioned New Year's Day games. They ultimately finished, I think, two or three spots behind Memphis for that last spot for uh, one of the uh, group of five teams or conference teams, the highest rated in the final standings. So they missed out on that and ended up with the bowl tie-in for the Mountain West, like you mentioned, which is how they got here. Uh they're, they've been ranked all year. They obviously haven't been challenged to the same degree that the Pac-12 schedule will challenge a team. What do you think uh, this game will end up looking like, and do you think the Huskies will ultimately be – do you think Peterson is likely to win the game in the end? Um, yeah, I think um, – for one, I haven't, obviously, since it's still pretty far out, I haven't done the usual deep dive that I do before games on their defense or anything. Um so I'm going to start this with the disclaimer that what I say, I may end up totally disagreeing with myself when I look more at the specifics in a week. But overall, I feel like it's a pretty good matchup. And a lot of it, kind of like what I was talking about prior to the Wazoo game, where I was kind of nervous, kind of whatever. Uh, I feel like a lot of it just comes down to to which UW offense comes out again. Um, and as well as if... Um, if if Eason can still have a decent passing game without Hunter Bryant, you know, whether if, if, if Bynum and Fuller and Kate Otten can kind of be relied on, maybe Puka if he comes back, but that's kind of iffy currently. Um, well, I think is most interesting f- for me personally, I don't know how other people think about this, is just looking at what happens with Boise at quarterback because they kind of most of the year had been going with Hank Bachmeyer, who – uh, if you rem- if anyone listening remembers that name, that's because he was a four-star recruit, uh, and he's a true freshman this year, and UW was recruiting him for a while um, before Dylan Morris uh, committed. But so he, you know, he picked Boise over, like, a lot of, of Power 5 programs uh, and then played quite well, especially for a true freshman most of the year, um, but got kind of banged up because he has, I think, what you could call the – uh, syndrome of true freshman athletic quarterbacks where they're kind of fearless 
borderline stupid when it comes to running and not protecting themselves. Um, and then they, they've had two quarterbacks that have kind of, they've gone back and forth between since then, which I think, I think it'll just be interesting to see kind of how that plays out, who's ready. Um, and if that kind of affects their offense, uh, moving forward. Um, I don't know. Personally, as a semi fan of Boise, that's what I'm most interested in. Yeah. And if, very surface level analysis. They have three common opponents with the Huskies, two of them being Hawaii, who they just beat in the conference title game. And who saw that coming when the Huskies played Hawaii? They looked pretty garbage. And they went on a run at the end of the year. I think they won five in a row in conference and made it to the conference title game and then got smacked by 21 points. But they also, they played, uh, two games in Boise. They played there earlier in the year and put 37 points on Boise's defense, which you know, it is a lot better than they did against the Huskies. And the other common opponent is Boise's one loss, which was BYU on the road, which is also probably pretty encouraging for Husky fans because we remember that game. And again, it's a lot of this schematic that Boise's soft zone defense and very little pressure on the quarterback made it easy for Easton to play maybe his best game of the year. Uh, and Huskies just looked very strong in that game. So we'll see if that has any impact on the game itself. Um, typically, I would say that given three weeks to prepare, Peterson is going to have a big advantage, but this is somebody in his coaching tree, Brian Harson, and he's proven to be an excellent game manager and, uh, you know, scheme developer as well. So I, I don't think that's going to be extremely one-sided. So it'll be fun to watch. I think this is – I think you're exactly right. This is a defense where the Huskies have an on-paper personnel advantage – and it will just be up to whether the offense that shows up is the uh, trick-or-treat offense. You know, it's like the one that can score points or the one that yeah. very much cannot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, we'll talk more about that game as it gets closer and we have more of an opportunity to dive into the specifics of it. But I think we are still in the afterglow of the coaching change to an extent that it's worth talking about things that have happened over the last week. We got another Chris Peterson press conference. We heard more from Jimmy Lake. I think the most notable piece of news that has come out of it was Jimmy Lake in his press conference addressing stylistically how he wants to play and what we can read into that uh, for what it means about how he's going to treat the staff. The thing that people have wanted to talk about most in from what I've seen is the offensive coordinator. Uh, Bush Hamden hasn't been uh, inspiring a lot of uh, jubilation over the last two years. It's hard to know exactly how much of that is his responsibility. It, uh, Jimmy Lake's comments were that he wants to play an aggressive, smash mouth, hard to defend uh, style of offense. Hard to tell whether that means he's going to keep Hamden uh, in the fold or if he's just waiting till after the bowl game to make a final decision about that. Do you have any feeling on what you think is going to happen on the offensive side of the ball with Lake in the big chair? And what would you like to see happen in this offseason and going forward? Yeah, I think um, it's safe this happens two years ago and, and we have Jonathan Smith. Um I think in, if it were that case where we're looking at the offense, and I know obviously it's not a, it's not a secret or anything that say two years ago, UW fans, uh, you know, were turning the hashtag firesmith into kind of a cliche, um, because that's how it was and he's not popular. If, if it were that case where you have Smith who is 
or just in general, a, a more experienced offensive coordinator who has developed more of their own philosophy um, or, or who you can reasonably assume has kind of some of that uh, going on, th- then I would feel like, okay, I want to keep him on for another year uh, and see what, um, you know, what you can do developing your own offense. You know, it's probably derived a little bit from what Peterson uh, is running, but, but, you know, what you can do when you're not forced essentially to run Peterson's offense. And with Hamden, I feel like as it is now, I still, I think in the future, I, I don't see a reason why he couldn't be a, quite a good offensive coordinator in, or, or, or creator of offenses, um, philosophically, um, when he's older and more experienced, um, in the way that Jonathan Smith has shown to be, uh, as the head coach at, at Oregon State. Um, and so for that reason, I don't, I don't feel like I want him to be completely fired or disassociated with the program because I feel like he could be a valuable asset moving forward. But, um, as it is now, I feel like he would really benefit or, or the program would benefit from somebody who has more experience developing, uh, tactically and philosophically, uh, a way for, for, uh, you know, offense to function. But I feel like having Hamden in some, I mean, that's the thing, though. I, 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 having him involved in some capacity, I feel like, isn't a bad call just as far as building for the future. But, you know, then it becomes a point of, like, well, where do you have him then? Um, and, you know, you're not just going to keep on some guy just to cross your fingers. Uh, so that's my, my yeah, that was kind of convoluted. But that was my, my – that's my gut right now. Yeah, I think for the most part, I – agree with the sentiment and I one other layer to it is that Lake as a first year head coach has a lot on his plate and asking him to take a more active role in developing an offense or have bringing in bringing along a new offensive coordinator would be complicated it's adding another difficult task to a long list of difficult tasks that he's going to be undertaking for the first time ever uh Hamden I as I alluded to earlier this was Chris Peterson's offense and Hamden was running it. We don't know exactly how much of it was his final decision, how much of it was Peterson's. We don't know how much he would innovate untethered from Peterson. We would have to wait to see that, but it certainly isn't a point against him because we don't know how to conclude one way or the other. I would say that if Lake had somebody in his history of his coaching tree who was a natural fit to slide in as a co-offensive coordinator, or you could call him an offensive consultant, or he could be, you know, it's somebody, some other piece of the offensive puzzle uh, to, to kind of shepherd Hamden along. That would be a natural thing to do. Yeah. I have, I've looked through his coaching history, and I haven't been able to find that, which, you know, he's been either in the NFL or in Chris Peterson's coaching tree for most of the time. So it's not a big surprise that there aren't a lot of outside uh, influences on him besides Peterson. So we're kind of double dipping from the same pool of assistance. So if we don't have a really obvious, easy to integrate veteran coaching presence to help him along, I think I would also rather wait a year to see if Hamden can do things better and differently on his own uh, before I give up on him. Yeah. And I, I mean, I know that is, it's, I, I I can kind of go both ways right now. I don't have really strong convictions on this, which I know isn't that common for any of anyone <laughs> talking about offensive coordinators. But uh, 
Um, I can definitely see why there would be, if you kind of want to gamble a little bit, I could see where there would be uh, some value in that. And I, I, I totally get where you're coming from. Um, and, and that's kind of back to my whole thing where if Hamden, if he had a few more years of experience, I mean, he's only been an offensive coordinator for two years. So, I mean, maybe he has this whole philosophy and, and this whole playbook and way that he would prefer to attack that is different from what he was doing this year. Uh, you know, that, that could totally happen. Uh, I don't, as a, just a random observer, uh, I and no one else really has, uh, any evidence of that. But I mean, yeah, you could, you could be right that with Lake not having, you know, huge, uh, uh, huge offensive connections from his past that he could bring in to, to consult or to take over or whatever, um, that it might be worth keeping Hamden and seeing what could go on. But my main, my, the reason why I'm leaning a little bit not that way. And again, like I know most people disagree with what you just said. And so by saying that maybe you're right, like I'm sure I'm not going to get many people agreeing with me. Um, uh, but my main thinking is that because this is um, Lake's first time and he's, you know, more defensively inclined, obviously that, having somebody who is just a more experienced offensive coordinator to take some of the pressure off of that side is, you know, I mean, that, that's, that could be really, really helpful to kind of ease some of the pressure off for him. But also, also what it's worth, this is my last thought before I quit rambling. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see, I mean, he, Lake alluded to this in his press conference when they asked what offense you want to run. And he said, I, I don't know necessarily, but I know what offenses I hate to coach as a or coach against as a defense as a defensive coordinator. I think it might be. I, I could see his perspective from the defensive side actually creating a much more potent offense than you would really expect from a defensively minded coach. You know. And that's another thing we don't know about Hamden yet is how adaptable he is. He's what run one offense that was the brainchild of one coach and hasn't had the opportunity to adapt it. If he fails at that, he shouldn't keep his job. If he succeeds at adapting, then we're not having this conversation in a year. I'd also say, you know, the idea, well, we need to bring in somebody new. We've seen enough of Hamden. I have not heard a realistic name. Part of the reason that Lake was promoted was to maintain continuity in the program that has been to three New Year's Day bowl games and won two Pac-12 titles in five years. That's a high, high level of success. It's the best the Huskies have done in a generation. There's Bringing in a new offensive coordinator means bringing in most of a new offensive staff. It would be very surprising to me if the athletic department made the decision to make a very large-scale change expressly to preserve continuity and several weeks later undermine most of that continuity. I don't think that's going to happen. If I'm wrong, I'll say it, If, but I, I would be extremely surprised if we ended up with a, a whole new offensive staff next year. Yeah, I see I see what you're saying. On the other hand, though, it feels to me like uh, so much of Peterson's kind of mental burnout and stuff going going into or throughout the season and, and you know, why he chose to step down, a lot of it seems – to me, from as a third-party observer, to come from the fact that he knows that difficult changes have to be made, and that the detail, how detail-oriented that process has to be, and how significant it has to be, is not necessarily something I feel like that he felt like he had the mental energy to take on 
which would imply at least a certain amount of reshuffling. And, and, uh, you know, and I think both of us could, or either of us, not both of us, I think either of us could be right on that in that regard. Um, but yeah, I just, I, 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 I'm really at a point where whether it's talking about Hamden, whether he should stay or go or what, you know, whatever the continuity is going to look like, I'm really kind of, I'm at a point where I could see things going in lots of different directions right now. Yeah, Peterson was probably in the same position. He was like, I can't decide what to do with Hamden. I'm really hemmed in. And he laughed so hard at his pun that he just retired. He's like, I can't beat that. I'm out. God, I hate you. (laughs) So we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit about conference title games and the college football playoff upcoming. So stick around. Thanks for sticking with us. We are hot on the heels of the college football playoff. It ended up pretty much exactly as most of us expected it would going into the weekend, with the one exception that uh, Utah kind of crapped the bed against Oregon. It was probably the worst game they played all year. They were dominated for most of the game. Tyler Huntley looked like a less mature, less experienced version of himself. Oregon looked like the dominant offensive and defensive force that some teams thought, or some analysts thought, would be a national contender going into the year. Uh, we both were dead wrong on how this would turn out. Uh, Gabe, what was your impression of that game, and why? How did we get it so so wrong? I uh, full disclosure, I didn't watch the whole thing, but what I did see, and from what you know, how it played out, uh, it, this kind of felt to me like exactly what we all thought Utah would be going into it to, into the season and what people thought Oregon would be going into the season, which obviously throughout the season kind of they ended up doing exactly the opposite, where, uh, or at least towards the end of the year, uh, where Utah, you know, played like their offense between Zach Moss and Tyler Huntley uh, and much of their offensive line, like they looked significantly improved and we're all going, oh, wait, oh, wait, okay, they're, they're actually good. I trust Huntley more than Herbert. I trust, you know, Moss more than Burdell, blah, blah, blah. Uh and so, like, they spent this whole season changing my mind, and then right in one game, it turns into Oregon looking like what much of the national media and some Pac-12 media were were expecting uh, or hyping up, and then Utah kind of looking like I'm like, man, you guys, you guys, this is the game. <laughs> this is the game where you had to look like old Utah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was, it really was old Utah is a perfect way to describe it. It wasn't just Huntley. It was the same thing of like running around with like a chicken with his head cut off, not being able to make a decision where to throw the ball and then making the wrong one. And the the blocking wasn't good and the timing was all wrong and making penalties at the worst time. I don't have a lot to add about the offense, but, uh, I will say I watched this game in a brewery. I got there right as it started and every TV in the brewery was playing uh, the NFL 100 special teams analysis studio show where they were just breaking down the members of the all-time special teams roster of the NFL 100 team. And I asked the bartender if he would change the TVs to the Pac-12 title game. And he said, oh, yeah, where are you guys sitting? And I pointed to where we were sitting, and he's like, oh, okay, I'll turn that TV over to the Pac-12 title game for you. And left the other 12 or 15 or whatever TVs on the what? NFL 100 games who we were able to keep tabs on, like, Shane Leckler's status and a bunch of players from the – I hate that so much. Uh, and then within – I said to one of my friends, I bet within 10 minutes 
every one of these TVs will be on the Pac-12 title game. And sure enough, they're exactly one of them stayed on the NFL network uh, by the time the second possession was happening. Uh, it was, it was very tough. Yeah. Uh, so give me your first impressions of the field for the college football playoff. It seems to me that Oklahoma has limped in a little bit more than the other three teams. I think the advanced statistics back that up. They had trouble twice with Baylor, who is good, but probably not as good as some of the, you know, LSU curb stop Georgia and Georgia's better than Baylor. So LSU, Clemson, uh, both looking exceptionally good. Ohio State had no trouble at all with Wisconsin. I- I'm guessing you would pick one of those three teams to get through. Uh, does any any surprise uh, upset picks for Oklahoma or any strong feelings about the other three teams? Yeah, not really. I yeah, I totally think you're right about Oklahoma. I mean, it, this to me kind of felt like a year where it was like three teams that should definitely be in it, and then. You're like, well, I guess we have to pick a fourth, so. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I think, I mean, when you look at um, the metrics or just, frankly, the eye test, which, you know, corresponds really well with the advanced metrics often, and in Oklahoma's case it certainly does. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really can't imagine. I think Oklahoma's going to get smacked around pretty pretty good. I'm, it's cliche to root for the, well, it's not cliche to root for the number one seed. No one does, unless you're talking about, like, Europeans and soccer. I'll root for, like, the friggin' monster teams, and I have no idea why that's so weird to me. But, uh, I, I really, I really enjoy LS2 this year. So I'm, just from, as a personal fan of both, like, on-field product and just, like, uh, arcs and narratives and, and the characters that play it, I'm like, there's something about Joe Burrow and the maniac that is Ed Orgeron that I'm like, I personally, I'm like, I can't, I can't not root for that. Yeah, I think there are a few reasons for that. I'm totally with you on that. And LSU's always been kind of my closet SEC team as much as I hate the yeah. SEC. Uh, one reason is that Louisiana is better than Alabama, Mississippi, most of Georgia, South Carolina, most of Tennessee. Uh, it's it's a more interesting place. The like French portion of the culture introduces something else. I, when I say better, what I mean is more in line with my personal tastes as someone who chooses to live in <laughs> Seattle, which translates also into better, because if they weren't my tastes, I would pick different ones. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, you know, they have better food, they have cooler music, they have better history, more interesting history. They have things uh, like monuments and historical artifacts that aren't uh, statues of slave owners in parts of the state. So that's cool. Uh, they have probably the best uniforms in college football. I, I still really like Texas's home uniforms. The LSU away uniforms are just like as clean and beautiful as could be. Although I guess they won't be wearing those since they'll be the higher seed throughout. Uh, Ed Orgeron is one of the most entertaining characters and the marriage between him and LSU is absolutely perfect. Uh, people, I don't know if this is a, a commonly known story, but he was the defensive line coach at Miami in the early 90s when they had Warren Sapp and they won the national title. And one of the other defensive tackles on that team was Dwayne Johnson, who is went on to be known as The Rock and borrowed almost all of his professional wrestling catchphrases from things that Ed Orgeron would say to him in practice, like lay the smack down, open a can of whoop-ass, like all this stuff was, I guess not that was but a, a lot of the rock sayings were yeah. things that he borrowed from Coach O. Uh, so that's awesome. And then Joe Burrow, like you yeah. mentioned, I, I put the fun to watch player a little further down the list because, like, I thought Nick Chubb was fun to watch 
and uh, oh, for sure. Todd Gurley was fun to watch. I still didn't like Georgia. Like, two was fun to watch. I still don't like Alabama. Uh, yeah. Jerry Judy's fun to watch. I mean, I, Joe Burrow, definitely fun to watch and will absolutely win the Heisman. But there are multitude reasons uh, for why LSU is much cooler than the rest of the SEC. Yeah. And we could do a whole other episode on this, but uh, I'll leave it at that for just now. Like, <laughs> just, like, fangirling over LSU. Yeah, and for what it's worth, like, even if Joe Burrow, I don't think he's the most – Personally, I don't think he's, like, quote-unquote, the most fun player to watch. But his whole – he to me, he's kind of like if Chris Peterson were a player, not in his personality or anything, but as far as you look at his art between, like, growing up uh, in Ohio and, like, being this beloved figure for Ohio State that then gets the release and then goes and, like, revives along with – oh, shoot, LSU's offense, new offensive coordinator who I'm spacing out on after Matt Canada. Either way, uh, you know, goes down there, revives LSU, who for, like, what – I mean, since Nick Saban left, have been kind of stuck in the cycle of, like, smash mouth, but ultimately pretty bad offensive football, um, kind of in the style of, like, a Utah of the SEC up until this year, obviously. Um, and so you look at that whole thing, and you look at also the, the way, the stuff that he has said and talked about, and uh, he's, like, a decently outspoken person about a lot of different things, um, which is, you know, pretty often not that common in uh, – professional men's sports uh and also like uh, <laughs> i i also i don't know if anyone listening to this um saw it but there was like he on his on senior night he had a tribute to louisiana and it's clearly just turned into this marriage him being so beloved there where he they did this like martin scorsese tracking shot behind him and he changed uh his last name on on the back of his jersey to be spelled ea UX instead of OW. And like, I, I'm, I didn't cry, but the whole time I was watching it, I'm just like, just trying, just being like, I'm not, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm not, like, I'm not emotional. Um, and I don't know, I find, I find that whole narrative kind of hard to root against. Yeah, uh, absolutely across the board. Uh, I've always wondered why every time I've seen the name Joe Burrow, it, I think of Joe Boo, the um, god that Pedro Serrano uh, prays to in Major League, where he sacrifices a chicken in the clubhouse. Uh, and I think Joe Boo would be a great nickname for him, but that's probably never going to catch on for a 30-year-old movie. Uh, so I think we've uh, pretty much run through all of the reasons why LSU ought to win the college football playoff. We'll probably talk about that again at some point. Uh, we will be back next week to uh, talk a little bit about signing day. We'll probably be a day later than usual to accommodate the uh, college football recruiting schedule. We did petition to have them move it up a day to fit with our regular recording schedule, but we haven't heard back on that yet. Uh, I'm guessing we're not going to. But before we wrap up today, uh, Gabe, do you have any recommendations or plugs you would like to share with the listeners? Yeah. Um, if any, the, um, I'm going to plug my own things because I'm um, uh, a narcissist. No, just kidding, because I'll take all the advertising I can get. Uh, but I'm. if anyone's listening here and is in Los Angeles, uh, I'm going to be there from – Tomorrow or today, when you're listening to this, the 11th uh, to the 17th, I'll have shows uh, on the, the Hollywood 11th. Bowl. Yeah, oh. yeah, just by myself. Yeah. Uh, but the 11th, the 13th, and the 15th. Uh, the 11th is at uh, Local Boys uh, Comedy at in Eagle Rock. The 13th is at, at the Comedy Garage, which is like a 14-year-long running show, monthly show. Uh, and then the 
15th is at the Van Nuys Comedy Club. Um, and that one is like a 40 person thing. So it'll, it's, it, it's like free and it, but it maxes out at like 40 people. So if you are in LA and want to go to that, um, I'll post a thing on it on my Twitter. Um, or you can DM me or whatever. Who cares? Uh, but you can register a free ticket on their evite so that you reserve a seat because otherwise they can't guarantee seats if you, uh, show up. But maybe if you just show up without reserving, they'll do that too. Uh, so yeah, that, that's that. Um, the, yeah. <laughs> Great. That sounds awesome. I don't have a lot new. I did want to give a quick update on that uh, survivalist show that I talked about earlier. Uh, oh, I was yeah. watching the season of it and I finished it. And the guy who got third place was yanked off because of a medical check. Like his blood what pressure that? had, he was yanked out of competition. That's probably a better way to say <laughs> it. Uh, out of the show because he <laughs> had lost so much weight, but he had 33 dried fish in his shed. He just didn't want to eat them because he wanted to make it last longer. So they took him off due to malnutrition, and he was standing there going, I should have ate more. I wish I would have ate more. It was one of the highlights of the show for me. Uh, he lost. Uh, the show, the ending of it, it's, they, they fly the person's partner or, like, significant loved one in, and they have them recording a movie. Bad decision. Yeah, yeah. They, well, they have them, whoever won, they have them giving a speech to the camera about uh, how much they miss their family, and then they have their partner sneak up from behind and, like, tap them on the shoulder. And it is a little bit heart-wrenching. It's, a, it's like, on the level of the Joe Burrow uh, jersey name. It's really, really cool. Um, it's a dumb reality show, but it, it actually <laughs> has some emotional resonance. That's all. Um, I think we're going to wrap up there. Any last words? Um, besides, no, my only last words are that when you phrase it that way, it makes it sound like I'm about to get shot by firing squad. But, oh, yeah, no, you guys, feel, yeah. yeah, yeah, feel free to, I mean, if you're, if this is like a, like a death penalty thing, if you're gonna, if you guys are like killing me, I just didn't know about it. Uh, then my last words are, eh, whatever. My last words are, okay, fine. <laughs> that, that, that'll have to work. Whatever. Close enough. Eventually. All right. Well, with that, <laughs> I guess Gaby won't be here next week when we interview Cody Pickett, but Bye. we do hope that that will happen. And in the meantime, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week to talk about signing day. Bye bye.